I, oh, I feel really, like, pulled in a lot of places. Like, yesterday, I was just doing, like, I was working my consulting, and then I took a break from that, and then started doing, like, my business stuff, then took a break from that, and started doing podcast stuff, and I never really, like, I mean, it it took me quite a few hours to get anything really done. Yeah. So, it's... There's a lot going on, but it's nice to not, I mean, it's nice that I don't have nothing, but it's also, like, stressful that I have so much, but I think it'll all simmer down once I get a good schedule and get my life figured out. So when are you done doing your consulting? My contract ends on the 29th of April, but if I reach my max hours by, like, before then, then the contract ends then. Okay. Are you close? Uh, I have, like, 70 hours left. Oh. <laughs> the guy I was training quit. So, what? like, all that time went to nothing. Yeah, yeah it's quite an interesting time. But, okay. yeah, it's it's whatever. But things are fine. <laughs> I'm excited that it's starting to get warm, though, because yeah. I really enjoy being outside doing my stuff, like painting or using my table saw or whatever. I just like being in the warmth doing that. Getting okay, your vitamin D. Yeah, so I'm excited for that. Like, my life is very boring right now. But Jordan asked me to be her maid of honor. <gasps> You're really? Yeah. And wow. I was like, what? I mean, I kind of knew it. She spilled the beans when I was helping her, like, do something. She's like, top-notch maid of honor. I was like, did you just say maid of honor? And she was like, yeah, but you kind of already knew that was going to be the case. And then she did, like, an official proposal thing. Yeah. And it was super cute, but, like... I don't know how to be a maid of honor. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, that's super So sweet. I'm like... I think you just do what you've been doing, you know? Well, I'm just like, let me just do everything you ask me. Like, you ask me and I'll say yes, because I don't know <laughs> what else wish to is do. my command. Yeah, like, I, I'm at your service right Aww. now. So, like... And you've never been a maid of honor, is No, right? never. Like, never officially, like, anything but a bridesmaid, you know? Right. So, and I haven't been a part of a wedding, like, officially for years so yeah. it's gonna be interesting man that all the like fun though that's gonna take up a lot of your other time, time. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but in a good way like not I don't mean that like oh it's gonna take up all your time it's just like oh well that's another thing that you can keep busy with you know yeah it's I'm really excited it's gonna be super fun and I'm like Jordan and Corey's like top number one fan because like when they you know, ever have issues. I'm like, you guys, I have too much invested in your relationship, so figure it out because yeah. I don't think I can handle you guys breaking up. Like, I right. have told them that many, many like, times. Like, no pressure, but you can't break up. Yeah, no pressure, but if you break this up, I'm going to have a problem. Like, I'm <laughs> psycho, but, like, I'm very excited for them. They're so cute together, and Corey seems pretty excited to plan stuff, which is really weird. Oh, that's sweet. So that's good when the guy's excited. Yeah, they they seem to be doing pretty good making decisions so far. I look back at my wedding and I would do so many things different. Like I didn't listen to Josh at all. <laughs> oh, you mean like for his like decisions yeah, and stuff? I yeah. was like, no. But and not only that, but like I I was a I was like, sure, let's just do that. Like I wasn't very bridezilla, mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah, any idea that came up, I was like, sure, let's do it. Right. So, like... Like, good idea. That sounds great. Except <laughs> whenever Josh had something input, I was like, oh, that's already decided to be this, so that sucks for you. <laughs> so... That's already figured out. Yeah, I wasn't great a year away, about so. letting him <laughs> do anything, so... Yeah, I'll, I would do a lot of things different, I think. So, my story I did yesterday... <laughs> nice. <laughs> I just, like, I just struggle with this, but it'll, I'll get the handle of it here soon. Have you ever heard of Kiplin Davis? No. Okay, so Kiplin Davis was born on July 1st, 1979. Um, she was a spunky redhead, and she loved being around her family. She grew up uh, LDS. She had three siblings, and she was born pretty active in her activities with her Mormon faith. Um, Kiplin, at 15 years old, was a high school drama student at Spanish Fork High School. 
Um, but on May 2nd, 1995, Kiplin went missing. So at 4.30 a.m., she snoozed her alarm to get up for her early morning driver's ed class. Um, she woke up late and kind of got in a fight with her parents because she was like, let me just sleep in. I'll just miss one class. Can you yeah. just... You know, oh, that was so me every <laughs> every morning. I'm like, right? what is the big deal if I miss one day? I know. Like, can you just give me an excusal? Like, my whatever. body is telling me I need to rest. Yeah, like <laughs> this is what in what world are they asking freaking teenagers to get up at 4:30 in the morning? Like Ugh. that is just absolute madness. That is too early. Like science says that you should not be waking up high school students that early because they're not getting enough sleep. So no. if you're wondering why your kid is not doing well in school, they, it's because they need to sleep. Yep. But also, in, like, Europe, they don't start school till like, 9. Really? So that their, like, students get enough sleep. I heard that that might happen in Utah. Oh, really? Did you hear about that? No. Because uh, the Senate, I think, unanimously voted against daylight savings time. So now they're taking it to the House for a vote. So it's possible that as soon as next year, we won't have daylight savings time anymore. And Utah, our sun won't rise until after 8, eight o'clock or something like that in the winter. So they're thinking about having Utah students start at 9 because of the daylight savings change. Nice. Yeah. Well, I wish that was real life when we were in school. I know, right? All these, like, short days and, like, days off school that my kids are getting. And I'm like, really? Like, I this seems have, excessive. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't have any of this. Yeah. Lucky. Um, yeah, so her parents made her go to school, you know. Um, her dad, yeah. you know, as dads do, they're like, get your ass up. <laughs> you know, right. like, you're going to school, stop crying about it, whatever. So she goes to the car, her mom's driving, and she was, like, in tears. And she, her mom's just like, oh, she's being dramatic because she has to go to school. Yeah. So she, like, the mom didn't think anything of it. was just like, yeah, you're going to school. Like, stop being like that. Yeah. Um, so. So they just thought it was just a bad start to the day. Yeah. Like, happens to most <laughs> happens teenagers. happens once a week for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. to me. Um, uh. So when her dad, Richard, got home from work at 3.30 p.m., Kiplin wasn't home. But he said that was weird because he could always count on Kiplin's schedule. She was always home by the time he was home. And, like, if anything went off schedule, that he would know about it. Because at the time, they had cell phones, which was in 1995. And I'm like, really? Really? Yeah, I guess, like, the ones you see, like, in Fresh Prince. Like, the flip phones and the, the big brick thing with the big antenna. I mean, yeah, but kids weren't taking those around, were they? I don't know. That's what I thought were cell phones back then. But just Josh, based off of didn't Fresh, Brother Fresh Josh Prince. have, like, a pager in, like, 2000? Yeah. But actually. Mom had a flip phone, like, those old flip phones. Maybe they were just really wealthy, and so they got the first maybe. Uh, flip phones. Like the, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, so he was like, this is weird, um, but maybe she got caught up, whatever. Um, so he checked the answering machine and his heart dropped. The high school had left a message saying Kiplin never made it to her fourth period class. Is that her first class? In the no, day? that was the... Or is that in the middle of the day? Middle of the day after lunch. Okay. Yeah, where they did all seven in one day. Okay. Yeah. So Kiplin's dad was upset because they had cell phones and... Uh, she never called to say she'd be late or where she'd be. So he was initially he was mad that she skipped, skipped school yeah. and didn't call. That would be my first reaction. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Where are you? Did you go to the mall? You right. Know, or whatever. Yeah. Like, his first thought was just that she skipped out. Yeah. Right. Because they had a bad morning and she was yep. upset. So, like, maybe she acted out and didn't want to be at school that day for whatever reason. Yeah. Okay. I would usually skip class if I didn't have a my homework done for that class yeah and you don't want to like shame i do not especially for rand but like <laughs> i did not want to be publicly shamed for not turning in my homework yeah because that was me i never did my homework i didn't either i feel like my issue was that like i would start the homework and even if i got like halfway done or even 75 percent done i still had a hard time turning it in me too because like, i couldn't turn it in uncompleted because i felt like that wasn't good enough 
but also then I would just never turn it in. Yeah, and then I got zero, and mom, I remember mom always had explained it to the teacher, like, no, she didn't. She just didn't turn it in, and the teacher was like, just turn it in. And I'm like, but it's not done. They're like, at least you'll get some points. And then I had to like change my my brain to think that, but that wasn't until I was like a senior in high school. <laughs> yeah, and it was too late. And I'm like, well, that would have been nice to know that I could still turn it in. Right. But I, for some reason, it was wired in my brain that if it's not done then it's not done. Like, you don't turn it Like, in. you'd get a zero if it yeah. wasn't 100% complete. And now that I'm thinking about it, like, out loud, I wonder if that was, like, an elementary teacher one time that just didn't accept it. And then I was like, oh, that's just how it is, you know? Yeah. Oh, some teachers suck. Yeah. You know, I'm actually really bad about getting my kids' homework done. You see? I struggle really same. bad because it's, like, it's not hard. No. <laughs> They're in first grade in kindergarten like it's yeah. the easiest homework it's like two plus three is what but also like I'm I just struggle like making that a part of my schedule is like they have to get their homework done because it's not that they have the responsibility in their head yet to do it themselves it's like training so like I have it. to sit and do their homework with them and it's it's kind of a hard like thing to get used to yeah really I'm just is. not good at being a mom <laughs> in I'm not that good way at being a student I'm just not a good student me either you know so Richard calls Kiplin's mom Tamara and she hadn't heard from Kiplin either Okay, so like they're like okay, neither of us have heard from her um, and they're starting to get worried but yeah. like they're assuming that she's just a, being a teenager right yeah. how old is she again 15 okay so Prime like time for rebellion <laughs> exactly so by 5 p.m. they call all of her friends and no one had seen her either um, her parents got into the car and started checking the school and church grounds and no one hadn't seen her since lunchtime so um. That was weird because no one said they saw her. Like, not one person said that they were like, oh, yeah, I saw her go this way or I saw her at the church or whatever. So she was nowhere to be found. Yeah. Okay. Uh, once it got dark, they had to call police. Once the police got there, they had told them she's 15. She's probably out with friends. Or Don't run away. Or, or run away. That was their first instinct that she was a runaway or she was just out with friends and just rebelling right yeah, right um so they put out a bolo be on the lookout for like police officers if they see her to you know burn her in yeah but they just assumed she was a runaway her parents almost immediately put flyers out and printed them and scattered them across the city um after only a few hours her parents actually assumed the worst because she hours. was yeah because she was so on Missy. schedule all the time yeah. and no one had seen her they're like the only explanation is that something bad happened i guess that's true cuz even if she was out with friends friends would have they said, would have said something yeah or if she really was just out at a friend's house someone would have seen her yeah so it's ah uh, shoot right that would be a scary conclusion to come to because, I mean, no oh one gosh. knows their kid best than their parents yep. or even their friends. And they would say, yeah, I saw her, like, go to a friend's house. Or, I, like, you know, someone yeah. would have seen something. Yeah, but or at least have a lead. Like, oh, check out or ask this person or, or she she's mentioned hanging out with this person or whatever. But nothing. Nothing. So Tamara, her mom, had gotten a hold of Kiplin's closest friend, Eli. Eli did say something about um, at lunch. So lunch is the last time anyone had saw seen her, right? Yeah. But at lunch, he saw um, Kiplin talking to a guy named Chris Jepson at the theater stage. So she was a theater kid, and her and Chris were practicing a dance that was a part of the play. Okay. So um, he said he didn't really... He wasn't a big fan of Chris and thought he was a bad dude. Yeah. And so he's like, but that's the last time I saw her was was when she was practicing dancing with this guy. And her parents looked through Kiplin's journals and found mention of Chris and got the idea that they were more than friends. Okay. So they're like, okay, this is the last person to have seen her with this specific person. It looks like they she had a crush on him and had a thing. Mm -hmm. So let's go talk to this guy. Yeah, this is our next lead. 
Yeah. So the parents were basically investigating the whole thing on their own because police deemed it a runaway. And my gosh, could you imagine going from being a worried parent to to being your own child's detective within a few hours? And so I got most of this information from the Nightmare Next Door episode called Stealing Beauty, uh, season eight, episode one. It was the dad and the mom were being interviewed. Oh, and the police detective also were being interviewed, but fascinating. Anyway, is that a podcast or like a? Oh, it's a. It's on Discovery Plus. Okay. Um, It's called Nightmare Next Door. Okay. It was aired in 2014, so it's kind of an older series. Okay. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. I lost my place. So, yeah, so they were taking it upon themselves to investigate their daughter's disappearance. Um, they, they went to Chris's house and knocked on the door, and Chris's sister answers the door and says, Oh, yeah, he's been at school all day. Um, right now he should be at the school. Because Chris, I guess, was the, like, on the stage crew. Okay. And so he was kind of, like, setting up the stage for the play and, like... And rehearsing and- Yeah, and so he was like, this is um, where he should be right now. Because he usually does late nights setting up this stuff. Okay. So Richard, the dad, went to the high school. By this time it was 10 p.m., still hadn't heard from Kiplin. He goes to the high school, and it looks like it's empty. Like, most of the lights are off, so he's like, there's no kids here, right? Um, So he went back to Chris's house, and to see if he was home yet and the lights were on and there was a familiar pickup truck in the driveway uh, it was a blue and white pickup that was owned by an 18 year old Rucker Leafson so he's like I've seen that before it's kind of a kid that runs with a bad crowd okay. and so he's like why is he at Chris's house are they friends Right. and why would they I, mean, I don't know so he was making assumptions but he yeah. didn't go to the door because he was like I can't go to these and knock on these people's door at 10 p.m. And accuse them. And accuse them of anything and ask questions because I am an amateur detective and I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) So he's like, I can't, I can't go and knock on this door. And he's like, looking back, he wonders like if he should have. Without changing anything. Yeah. Um, So he, he decides to leave. The school resource officer, Morgan Warner, was willing to help as much as he could. He had never had a child in the school go missing before, but he still went into every single classroom and talked to every student and said if they had seen or heard anything to come to him and report it. Uh, Warner believed that someone at the school knows what happened, but kids are really good at keeping secrets, secrets, especially if they think that they're going to be looked at as a snitch or if they're going to be looked or at a as a suspect. Yeah. And so they were scared and no one wanted to say anything. No one said anything. They couldn't get any information from any of the students. But did somebody know something? Um, yes. Okay. But we'll hear about that in a minute. Oh my gosh. So, Warner, the resource officer, knew Chris wasn't a a great student. He had attendance issues, and so detectives pulled him out of class to ask him some questions. Sorry, is this the next day? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of within a couple weeks. Okay. Yeah. So, um, when they talked to Chris, they pulled him out of class. He wasn't nervous, and he was pretty confident in all of his answers. He said he last saw Kiplin during lunch when they were practicing the dance moves for the play, but he wasn't in class the rest, or but he was in class the rest of the day. He said he had no idea where she was, um, and after school he was just setting up for the play after school and hadn't seen her. He said he stayed at the school till 11 p.m. and he was with two friends, Timmy Olson and Rucker Leafson, who had the truck in the driveway. Okay, and were they part of the stage crew too? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they and they were just messing around and like it went longer or later than normal because yeah. they you know weren't totally focused and on it's what fun they were to be at your school when it's late and there's only the custodians there I yeah know. i was in a marching band i know <laughs> and then you're just like messing around like you're yeah. whatever playing in the hallways and it's all like it's out. all it's yeah fun. yeah it's pretty cool and it was pretty common for students that had to do work outside of the school hours to have keys to certain doors and yeah. like the resource officer was like, that's not uncommon. So, like, 
kind of a weird thing to like let students have access to the school but like but if it's just like a janitor's closet you know yeah what's the big deal right so um police had no reason to believe that there was any evidence that chris had anything to do with kiplin's disappearance so they kind of set him aside and was like okay let's go interview these other kids and see if they can corroborate like where they were right so they interviewed timmy and rucker the two guys with chris at the school um and they had the same story but the police didn't seem to believe them for some reason they had a hunch that something was off yeah but they had no proof that their story was like false right um so they had to just keep an eye on the group of boys to while they investigated other leads so there was this boy named Brandon Meyer. He was another person of interest and someone who had a crush on Kiplin. And they were able to confirm that Kiplin also had a crush on him. So they were kind of like not dating, but had a thing for each other. Okay. Um, and they wondered if he could be involved with her disappearance. So I guess Kiplin had been asked by Brandon to go on a date that Friday night, but her parents had a rule that she can't date till she's 16. You know, being LDS, it was a rule, and then it was like, once you're 16, you can group date. (laughs) And then when you're you're 17, you can go on single dates. And it was like, ugh, whatever. Um, So she, so the parents said, no, you can't go on this date, not till you're 16, but according to her friends, Kiplin had said, yeah, she'll go. So... Um, apparently she's like, I mean, I don't have to call it a date to my parents. <laughs> right. So, so on the, on the Friday night was the planned date, but she went missing on the Wednesday. Wait, say that again. So she went missing on Wednesday. The date was planned for Friday. Okay. Right. Yes. So on that Wednesday that she went missing, um, Brandon apparently approached her during lunch and canceled the date saying he had already had a girlfriend. The girlfriend found out that he asked her on a date and was in trouble, so he canceled the date and said, nah, like, sorry. Wow. And so she... Heartbreak. Yeah, so she had this, you know, hurt feelings because she was like, this boy likes me and I like him. And and he literally chose a different girl. (laughs) Yeah, that's like the worst feeling. Um, So Brandon actually when the police looked at attendance records um they found out that brandon had missed the fourth period also can't cheat those attendance records right he actually asked the girlfriend to change the records because i guess she had some kind of power with that um and and to show that he was actually in class but she never was able to do it so i mean he was marked absent so they were wondering why were you asking to cover it up like you know kind of suspicious so the spanish fork pd really started getting involved once they started to believe there may have been foul play because there had been no usually when when kids run away there's some kind of response either through text or through like a call or something saying no i'm not coming back or like eventually they hear from them yeah. Right or or someone knows something. She would have run away to a friend's house, and the parents would have been like, "Hey, come get your kid." She needs support at fifteen years old. Right. So um, they interviewed Brandon at his home, and he was apparently surprised to see them. Kind of surprised that he was a suspect, um, but he was willing to answer the questions. He said that he felt bad for how he broke it off with Kiplin. So he tried to find her during fourth period, but never found her because he wanted to apologize with how he broke it off. Um, He ultimately decided to skip the rest of the classes and headed home. He got a flat tire and asked one of his friends to help change it. So they're like, okay, I mean, maybe, maybe you're telling the truth, but... Yeah, it's like, that's a good story, but we've heard some stories already. (laughs) Right, and so um, his... They went and asked the friend that helped him change the tire, and his friend said, yeah, that didn't happen that day. It happened this day. Really? So. Oh, shit. That was suspicious, but even still, Brandon was kind of at the bottom of their suspect list because he was able to answer their questions without any hesitation, and the police didn't get the hunch that they got from the other guys. So they thought he was being sincere and maybe had just gotten the days mixed up about the tire change thing okay 
but I'm surprised that he wasn't at the top because he also missed fourth period and the other guy went, had attendance during fourth period. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, it seems like his story could, like, line up with a crime easier than the other ones. Right. And it seemed like the police were kind of just going off hunches and, like, okay, you answered those questions pretty good, so we'll let you off the hook. Yeah. But these guys seem like they like are... they were better in the interrogation than these guys Yeah, were. which is weird, because I'm like, if you're a sociopath, you can answer questions without any hesitation. So it's like, yeah. that's kind of a weird thing, but it was in the 90s also, so... Well, and also to their kids, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. if they hesitate, maybe it's because they're freaking out that they're going to go to the jail. Yeah, something. like, the police are talking to them. Like, yeah. if the police were in investigating my friends and I said something weird yeah. that like made me sound like I was a the bad guy like I I would be freaking out right you know? like I remember at that age I was crying when I got pulled over right <laughs> so I'm like I'm so sorry don't take me to jail and he's like I'm not <laughs> uh, <laughs> you need to calm down you're just getting a ticket um but yeah so I thought it was weird that they didn't make him a higher suspect than they did but okay so during this time Kiblin's family obviously were devastated they hoped for the best but they were kind of expecting the worst as the days went on yeah um more time that passes the worst news you're gonna get yeah their hope was honestly fading they had an intuition that something bad had happened they kept their porch light on always just in case though so they made sure that the porch light was on in case she came home so that's breaks your heart a little bit yeah after two more weeks the investigators have exhausted all of their leads and decided it was time to hold a press conference with the davis family during a during a press conference the family asks for any information or for someone to come forward or for kiplin to come home yeah you know all of this stuff but chief adams who was leading the investigation at the time announced in the press conference that the fbi was joining the investigation Um, so they said, you know, the FBI have better tools, have better knowledge, know how to do, they know how to handle these kinds of things more than we do because this doesn't happen every day. Yeah. I think the sooner, like, unexperienced police departments could get the FBI in, I think is better. Mm -hmm. Um, usually it's like, no, this is our case, get out of here. But like, I think it's important for them to welcome that help. You know. sure. But it also gave the Davis family a new hope because the big guns are coming out and they're going to get some answers, right? Yeah, right. Um, flyers of Kiplin were in the windows of local shops and businesses and any time it started to fade by the sun or whatever, they'd replace it. So, like, the community was, like, you know, helping out the best that they could also. Yeah. Um, a year goes by and this uh, they haven't had any more information come about from any witnesses, from any of the students. No one was coming forward. Um, so the Spanish Board Police Department weren't getting anything. They followed every tip that came in because any tip could be something, but they just didn't get anything out of it, right? Uh-huh. Let's see. So Chris Jep- Jepson, right, the kid who was dancing with her at lunch... He, so Chris showed up at the door of the Davis house all of a sudden a year later and talks to Richard, her dad, and says, I just need to get this off my chest. I had nothing to do with Kiplin going missing. And her dad's like, okay, that's... Like, I thought that was already off your chest. That's a weird thing to talk to me about a year later instead of, like, when the investigation was going on. Yeah. So, like, why is it on your mind so much? Yeah. I, mean, I guess it could be anyway, but like also, why do you why do you feel so obligated to come here and say I need to get this off my chest? Yeah, why? You know? But also, why wait a year? Yeah. Why not immediately when you know you're a suspect, go to the parents and say, I swear, I had nothing to do with this, but I'll help in any way I can. Right. All of this stuff, but like to wait a year, I think is weird. That, so yeah, I feel like that's that says a lot. Right. Alone. And Richard was like, this is freaking weird. Um, And he started getting angry. Like, why the hell would you come to me now? And so he's like, 
what do you know? What did you do to her? And like, or what did somebody do? Yeah. If it wasn't you, then who was it? Yeah. And so Chris kept saying he didn't do anything and didn't know anything. So he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. So Richard reported this to the police. And so the police were like, okay, let's put some heat on this guy. Um, and decided to interview all three friends again. So Chris, Tim and Rucker, um, they interviewed them all separately and they all, all offered to take a polygraph test. So they asked Chris, do you know what happened to Kiplin? And he scoffed and he said no. And he passed the test. And the police were like surprised that he did. Scoffed? Yeah. So he was like, you know. Ugh. Like, Um, don't give us attitude, sir. Yeah. Like, how dare you? Sorry we're ruining your day. Some girl's missing. So don't act like, you know, this is. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's stupid. Okay. So they had to let Chris go because they didn't get any information from him. Right. So during the polygraph written portion, so I guess you can write a statement as the polygraph is going so they can kind of see spikes in something and then they do a verbal investigation. During the written portion with Timmy Olsen, he wrote on his paper that he did see Kiplin after school that day and him and Rucker dropped her off in Spanish Fork Canyon. Kiplin and Rucker walked away over a hill and Rucker came back alone when Tim asked where she was, Rucker said, don't worry about it. Whoa. Yeah. So this is huge information. Yeah. Okay. New information they've been looking for for the past year. They're like, okay. So when they ask more information about what happened with Rucker, he asked for a lawyer immediately. He crumpled up his statement that he just wrote and threw it in the garbage. He said he didn't want to answer any more questions. He, or the statement on the paper did not prove murder. But it was a little piece that they could take. It's a different statement than they got before. So that means that before he was lying. Yeah. So they were able to use that with future investigations, right? So they immediately pick up Rucker and start to question him. He denies everything and says that Timmy made it up. And he also surprisingly passed a polygraph test. Hmm. But as we know, polygraph tests can be easily Tricked. tricked. So anyway... That, it kind of sucks that they were like, oh, you passed this, so you're not a suspect. Right. So with this little bit of new information, it still left them with basically nothing. Just another piece of the puzzle. That they're like, wait, what What really happened, right? Yeah. So once the parents found out about the story, they were devastated. Richard said, quote, if they said her body was buried at the top of the mountain and I had to hike up the front of it, I'd do it. Uh-huh. Um, so he's like, I just want to know where she is. So the next morning after this, uh, interview, I guess the Davises and cadaver dogs searched the hill Timmy described and they dug and searched the dirt and nothing. Four years after Kiplin went missing, her family had declared her legally dead. They got her a headstone and put it in the Spanish Fork Cemetery. Six more years go by. So, 10 years later. And the story of Elizabeth Smart hits the media. The Davises can't help but wish their daughter got the same immediate help and urgency from police. Uh, The police didn't have any proof that Kiplin was hurt by anyone. She just disappeared without a trace. I wonder what that would be like, you know? I mean, because you want to be happy for the family, like Elizabeth Smart's family. Yeah. It's like, she went missing for how long? And we we found her, you know? And I, I could assume that, like, as a parent, that jealousy feeling, you yeah, know? Yeah, like, like that, you got the happy ending that I'm not going to get. That I've been praying for. Yeah. And I'm not getting what you got. So, like, I don't know. I feel like that would be really devastating. Yeah. Hearing a local story that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, Richard wrote a letter to the U.S. Attorney General, Attorney General for the or the state of Utah, police chief of Spanish Fork, and a few other head honchos, and demanded that the top suspects, Chris, Timmy, and Rucker, be charged with something, hoping that under oath they'd tell them where Kiplin's body is. Well, can uh, one of them get in trouble for just having a different statement? Kind of. So they kind of, I'll show you, they kind of get in trouble for perjury. Oh, okay. Uh, So I'll, yeah. Um, retired assistant Utah, or sorry, retired assistant U.S. Attorney General Richard Lambert approved the motion to have the grand jury investigate. Um, so they can do a grand jury investigation. So they're not necessarily being charged with something. They're just investigating under oath. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So 
lying to a police officer obviously is different than lying to a grand jury under oath. Like, they can get in actual trouble for right. that. Um, so, this could be what the Davises need to get closure on what happened to Kiplin. Yeah. Um, the grand jury investigation could take years to happen. So, during that time, the investigators interview any and everyone close to the suspects. Lots of information and secrets come to light. Mm -hmm. Um, one by one, witnesses come forward. People who were young and scared high school students are now adults with families. Gosh, yeah, your 10-year reunion. Yeah. (laughs) And they're giving investigators information and stories they've never heard before. One woman witness said she saw Rucker threaten Timmy because he had dropped the name in the polygraph test. So Rucker had threatened him in front of people saying, don't say my name again or else type of thing. Um, Wow. Chris's ex-wife, because 10 years had gone by, so Chris got married um, and was now an ex- had an ex-wife, uh, she came forward and said around the same time that Rucker threatened Timmy, they were watching the show So I Married an Axe Murderer, mm-hmm. and she was jokingly saying, like, hey, what was the worst thing you ever done, you know? And he said, quote, what would you say if I killed Kiplin Davis? And then she, like, freaked out, and he said, I'm just kidding. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Another witness came forward saying at a party, Timmy was drinking, and something about the Kip- the Kiplin case came on the TV, and everyone at the party knew that Timmy was a suspect at the time. And he randomly blurted out, I know where she is, and got and she got what she deserved, and that he did it. He said he killed her. What? Yeah, two witnesses gave them the same story that he said, quote, I killed her. And nobody said anything? Nobody said anything until the grand jury investigation was about to happen. Then they're like, oh shit, Um, this is, yeah. People. If you hear someone say that they killed someone, go to the effing police. There is a family that does not know what happened to their daughter And you know something, effing say something. It pisses me the hell off. But, like... That is so horrible. As time goes on, don't you think you'd think back about that and be like, maybe I should have said something. Right? And why don't you? You You're a grown-up now. You're now not connected to anyone you went to high school with. Yeah. Like, that is just so appalling. Yeah. Um, Now they know for sure that she's dead. I mean, they're just like, okay, I mean, it's been this long... And they have literally confessed to someone that they killed her, but now they still don't have the evidence that they need to, like, actually charge them with murder. They don't have weapon, they don't have DNA evidence, they don't have a body. Yeah. Even with all of this, they took the stand during the grand jury investigation, and they all still claim to be innocent. All the judge could do is charge them with perjury, that they lied. So, they all got off pretty easy. Timmy still got... 12 and a half years in federal prison for perjury. Chris got five years in prison for perjury. And Rucker got four years in prison. Prison? For perjury. (laughs) So prosecutors took it a step further. And at the state level, because that was at the U.S. level of a grand jury, right? So at the state level, with the information and witnesses that they have, they were able to charge Chris and Timmy with murder. Not Rucker, because they didn't have enough witnesses saying anything about him being involved in, in a crime. Mm-hmm. So, the, all they said was that Rucker threatened Timmy, but that's it. So, I think Timmy got the most time because he literally said, I killed her. Mm-hmm. Chris got five years because the only witness said that, what would you say if I said this? Mm. So, it wasn't a statement that said, I killed her. Right. So... Yeah, they're doing with what they can, with what they have. Right. So they charge Chris and Timmy with murder. Chris makes a plea deal that said, yeah, I I lied about something so he wouldn't get more prison time. Mm -hmm. February 2011, Timmy was willing to admit that he witnessed her murder. He said he saw someone knock her down and hit her in the head with a rock repeatedly. They went back later and moved her body in a different location, but refuses to say where they put her body and who he saw. So he's just trying to not say names, but trying to give information at the same time. Yeah. Richard, her dad, begged Timmy to tell him where she is. He said, I will help you in any way I can. I will help you get a lesser sentence. Mm -hmm. Just tell me where she is. And he refused. 
He pled guilty to felony manslaughter and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Her body that... still hasn't been found. The true events of Kiplin's murder are still a mystery. Wow. So, okay, but they said they they took her to Spanish Fort Canyon. Mm-hmm. Ha- they've probably searched that, right? Yeah. And nothing? Nothing. They couldn't find bone fragments. They dug and dug and took um, the dogs there to try to find her body and they couldn't find anything so there's uh, she is in a second second location but there's no way to know where that is yeah so i feel like the parents are it's unfair that they know (sighs) this guy is already going to prison he did it my, this is my this is my guess is that he did it mm-hmm. and he knows where the body is but he's saying he saw someone do it and that he just helped move the body somewhere else. Oh. How can he not say where? What's the point in not saying I know where she is? Unless there's it's worse there's worse details. But why not say it? You're already going to jail. But like, is he in jail for life though? No, fifteen years. Cause yeah, it was just manslaughter. Because like, what if it was like rape? And like, what if it there's was... There's probably DNA evidence, but after, yeah. after or what it had dismemberment been, or something. After you know? it had been 10 years, I mean, it's just bones now. Yeah. So I don't know what else they could get from it. That's true. Why not say? There's got to be something with it, you know, like, like a detail that they're going to learn if slash when they find her body. That's my guess. Stories like this make me wish that, like, when I die, I get to know all the things I want to know. Yeah. Like, I want to know <laughs> Like, you can really... sit in front of a computer and just type in, and like, questions. Like, what happened to Kiplin Davis? Yeah. What happened to, uh, what's her name? Susan Powell. Susan Powell. What happened? Where are they? Yeah. Like, I want to know. Not for any other reason than I just need to know to have closure. closure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so sad, and it makes wow. me so sad that it's just still, like, they they know she's dead, but they don't know what she went through. They don't know where she is. They can't lay her body to rest. Like, it's how awful. Old, how old was she? would she have been now? Like, in her 40s? Let's see. So, she was born in 1979. 89, 99, 09. 43. She would have been 43 today. Wow. Today? Oh. At this. <laughs> like, it's her birthday? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> in this time frame-ish. Wow. That's so sad. I'm sorry. There's no resolution to this story. I know. I feel like I'm just like, I need to go ask some people some questions. (laughs) I know. Doesn't it make you want to go and find this guy and say, yeah, just just tell me. I won't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Look at my baby blues. Yeah, like I promise that I won't say a word as I hold my fingers. (laughs) To my, my fingers are crossed behind my back. I won't tell anyone. Just tell me. And then the second he says anything, I'll be like, call the police! <laughs> or say, see, doesn't it suck to lie? <laughs> right. I hate him. I hate all the people. And it makes me sad because, like, kids were so scared to come forward and say anything. But it's like, do it. Who, yeah. Who gives a shit what anyone's going to think of you if you're doing the right thing? If you know something, just effing tell somebody. Even mm-hmm. if, sorry, but even if my closest friends murdered somebody... I would tell the police. Yeah. I'm sorry. Even my family. If I knew anything about a crime you committed, I'm telling the police. One, (laughs) because I can't keep a secret under pressure. (laughs) And And two, You're not going to fall with them. Like, I'm not going to... Like, if you murdered someone, I'm not... I can't have that on my conscience that I Mm -hmm. know something and there's a family hurting. And I know something that could help them find that peace. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like if you kill someone, respect... My respect for you is out the window. Yeah. You know, so you're like, not why... the person I thought I knew. So. Yeah. So why would I protect you right. when you did something awful to someone else? Yeah. So no one's safe. Jeez. Don't tell me any of your secrets. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> okay. Do we want to walk around first? It's up to you. I don't care. Um, this is 24th Street. So this is like the OG, OG, um, like downtown Ogden Street. Oh, look at these cute little things. That's cute. Look at all these cute little places. Kokomo. <laughs> Kokomo Club is what that is. This is a really cute street. Holy shit, I'm hot now. <clears throat> okay. This one. Where's my snare? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. 
I'm a little worried my phone will die during my story, so I might just have to do it off memory if it dies. That's this okay. Should be fine. Airplane mode, will that save my battery? Yeah, okay. if you can still reach uh... Let me get to my notes here. I just lost a percentage. Oh my gosh. Okay, it's fine. We're gonna get through this. So, the Bigelow Hotel. You see it? Yep. Do you want to describe it to our listeners? Um, yeah. It's <laughs> a tall, rectangular building. It looks like a hotel. It's kind of a mustardy brown color. It makes me, reminds me of the spiced spiced mustard <laughs> color. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the Dijon. Yeah, and um, it looks really old, but not like fancy old. Like mm-hmm. like you know what I'm saying? Like just bricks stacked just, on top of each other. <laughs> it just looks like a big pile of bricks. <laughs> In a rectangular shape. Yeah. Let me show you a picture of the front of it because we can't see it from where we're parked. And I don't know if you noticed it, but this is what the front of it looks like. Okay. So do you want to describe that to the people? It has... (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. It has a rounder front. (laughs) Okay, so basically... (laughs) The Bigelow Hotel, it's 13 stories. Okay. And we know about our number 13 and how unlucky that is, yeah. right? So it's thir- Is there anything on the 13th story? No. And oh. actually, I read somewhere, which I... It's so strange. Like, you hear all these stories, but then, like, you find a little bit of piece of information, and then there's hardly anything to back that up with. So I don't know how true this is, because I haven't actually been inside the hotel. But um, they say that it has 13 stories, but there's not a 13th floor. So I don't know if that means that they're not counting, like, the basement maybe as a story or, like, as a floor. I don't know. That's weird. I'm not totally sure how that works. Yeah. So basically what it looks like, though, is that the uh, base of the hotel is sitting on a four-story rectangular shape. And then the towers of the of the hotel is an L shape. And then... You know where, like, the two sides of the L connect, like, on that corner? Mm-hmm. At the very top, there's a two-story... It's called a nexus, I guess? The nexus of the building. Um, it's a two-story addition on top of that. And I'll get to why that is um, in my story. But that's the best description I can give for you, is that it it's a rectangular base, but then it's an L-shaped tower that goes up. Okay, yeah. And then on, like, the nexus where the two sides connect there's two more stories on top of that just look up a picture it's just weird okay it is really it's very unique for sure the address of the hotel is 2510 washington boulevard in ogden utah and it's on the east end of 25th street so on the west end is the union station on the east end is bigelow hotel um in last episode episode 15 i covered ogden's 25th street but you know we got a flat tire so we had to do a part two so that's why we're here again and if you guys joined us for the instagram live thank you if you didn't you can go back to our instagram and check out that video we were pretty goofy but we just did that so (laughs) that was an entertaining scary experience (laughs) april came in the car she's like i'm so hot and sweaty (laughs) and i'm like really because i was freezing outside so we both had different experiences nervous sweats (laughs) so if you want to learn more about ogden's 25th street and how the hotel came to be just listen to episode 15, you'll kind of get the gist. Um, the hotel came to be just like all the other buildings on 25th Street. It's just, you know, the Union Station was built and then a population Travelers. Came. Exactly. And they needed a hotel for all the people, so. All right, so in the summer of 1889, the approval for a hotel was given to be built on the corner of 25th Street and Washington Boulevard. The Ogden city officials and a local real estate investor named E.A. Reed came together and they built a five-story hotel made of brick and stone with 140 rooms and named it the Reed Hotel. And it was in full operation by 1891. Hmm. Um, it was considered to be the nicest hotel in the West. In 1916, the hotel was sold to M.S. Eccles and A.P. Bigelow, which were two millionaires and investors. So in 1916, when these two investors got the ownership of the hotel, they went to a local architect named Leslie Hodgson, and they they just completely redesigned the entire thing. They ended up turning the five-story hotel into a 13-story luxury hotel, and they renamed it the Bigelow Hotel. 
During the construction, the hotel halted its operations and didn't reopen until 1927. So it mm. it really it was closed for about six years during the time that they were trying to build it and get it going. In the four-story rectangular base of the hotel, that's where they had the kitchen, the laundry room. They even had a bank down there and some like local shops. Uh, so people that were staying at the hotel, they really didn't have to go far to do the things that they needed to do. Mm-hmm. In 1933, Mr. Eccles gained full ownership of the hotel because at the time it was Eccles and Bigelow. But Eccles gained full ownership and he ended up renaming it to the Ben Lamond Hotel. Huh. And you might wonder, who's Ben? Yeah, who is Ben? <laughs> well, Ben is actually the highest mountain peak in Ogden's mountain range. So when you look at the, the mountain- big Ben. Is that what it's called? It's called Ben Lamond Peak. Oh, I thought it was called Big Ben. I think that's a... Isn't that a river somewhere? I don't know. I just got a piece of something in my brain <laughs> and it was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, but he named it after the the tallest peak in the Ogden mountain range. And I think... I didn't read this anywhere, but I think that was kind of symbolic because this hotel is actually the tallest structure in Ogden still. Really? Yep. It is. Even this bigger than this guy over here? Yep. Even bigger than that one. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. That's that's cool. (laughs) So I think it was just symbolic because the highest peak of the mountain, the highest Highest building. of Ogden. Yeah. Exactly. And which good on that guy for not naming it the Eccles Hotel, you know? Not naming it after himself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's remained or it had remained a successful hotel all the way up until 2016. So from 1933 to 2016 it was the Ben Lamond Hotel. Wow. In that year though, so 2016, the hotel was sold to an investment company from California called Norcap and they ended up taking the hotel, renovating it and turning it into apartments. So now it's an apartment building. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> I know, right? Most common opinion about that is that, yes, that does suck because yeah. a lot of people want to go in and, and not even just investigate, but just go and like experience the historic, you know, like just to now go. people live in it and they can't access anything. Yeah. Like yeah. for people that love history, like that really limits you for what you get to go look at. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. So it's been, it's been the Bigelow apartments and it's had tenants since at least 2019. Hmm. While the hotel brought a lot of positive changes and growth to the local economy, it happened to be the backdrop to some of Ogden's most horrific tragedies. So, let's go through our timeline of death. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> In 1891, so the very first year that it was open. Yeah. A man named William a man named William B. Steele was found dead in his room from complications from tuberculosis. Oh, which that was a sad story because apparently he didn't live in Utah, he's not from Utah, but he came down with tuberculosis and he thought that the drier air out here would, you know, cure him. Mm-hmm. So he traveled to Utah, checked into this hotel where he ended up dying. That's sad. Yeah. Uh, in nineteen oh two, a woman named Tide Helen Van Allen checked in for a long stay at the five-story Reed Hotel with her husband. The story goes she she suffered from many illnesses and became suicidal. One day when Mr. Van Allen was gone at work, she decided to commit suicide by gunshot wound to the head. Oh, sad. In 1921, while it was still the Reed Hotel, a man named Asugi Nakano fell to his death by accidentally falling three stories down an elevator shaft. That sucks. Oh Yeah, right? In 1929, a group of friends were drinking in a room on the 12th floor before heading down to the ballroom. There's a ballroom here. Mm-hmm. Uh, before heading down to the ballroom for an event that was being held. And with this group of friends, one of their wives was with them. And she was like, you know what? I think I've had too much to drink. I'm just going to lay down in the bed for a while. And like, yeah, sure. So she literally just passes out on the bed. The guys go down to the ballroom for the convention, and the the wife's husband comes upstairs to check on her to find another man sexually assaulting her. So he went to this guy and literally punched him so hard in the chin that it ruptured an artery and he immediately died. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Deserved it. Yep. That was in 
1929, two men named Glenn Jackson and Elmo Chapman. <laughs> when you said that, you said two men named Glenn whatever. I was like, two men with the same name. Oh, <laughs> sorry, my brain just was really stupid for a second. Okay, sorry. Say that again. Okay, so in 1933, two men, two men, one named Glenn Jackson and the other one was Elmo Chapman, came to the hotel and asked the elevator operator to take them to the top floor. They made their way to the to a window on the south end of the hallway on the top floor, and one after the other, they leapt to their deaths. And it was later determined that they were extremely distraught about losing their jobs. So, there is a hallway. They said it was on, it was on a south-facing window. Mm-hmm. So, one of these windows is where they jumped out. Wow. Isn't that sad? That is very sad. I... That's the thing about hotels. I'm you know, that so many people choose to go out that go way. out that way. And to work at a hotel. I can't I don't know how people work at a hotel knowing that like that happens so often. I wonder how often it does happen. You you probably see some pretty freaking crazy things mm-hmm. working at a hotel. Right. It's also kinda of weird that you don't see as many ambulances at hotels. Don't you think you would? Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, maybe it doesn't happen as often as we think it does, but, like, when you think of the history of hotels, like, that's a pretty common thing mm-hmm. to happen at almost every hotel story is yeah. that, that something like that happens. Right. That's so true. But ugh. it probably doesn't happen as as often. Hopefully not, because, ugh, hopefully yeah. not, because imagine how many beds you've slept in that somebody probably died in. Right? Ugh. I love thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Um, in 1951, a local teacher named Donna Anderson leapt to her death from the ninth floor. On October 24th of 1976, the body of the hotel clerk named Henry Topping Jr. was found on the lobby floor stabbed 44 times. Pleader, please, pleader. <laughs> Police later found and convicted a 15-year-old boy named Johnny Angelo Perez. Well, so, that was a really sad story. Yeah, that's... And there are a lot of other deaths, but a lot of them are more suicides and more natural causes. Um, So I didn't go through all of them, but those are the biggest ones that I kept seeing that were mentioned. That's a common theme. Yep. There's also two other legends that I'm sure that somebody who's heard of them is probably like, aren't you going to mention those? There are two legends about two different deaths that happened here that were very um, dramatic that I looked into and I found that they weren't true. Oh. So I'm not covering them on purpose because I try I try to find the truth in these stories. I don't I mean like not for the dramatics. Yeah. The, I mean like with the Annie Bang story that was a little bit different and there's yeah. some things that are more just like spooky legends, but the two stories that have been added to this hotel, I really just don't I can't get myself to cover it because it's just so not real. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean you guys can look that up if you're wondering what those stories are. Um they're really st- sad and tragic, but I'm like, why tell it if it didn't really happen? Right. You know? Yeah. Okay, so those are all the deaths that we're talking about. Let's go on to the paranormal. So people who have experienced paranormal activity at this hotel, the common denominator is that the people that have experienced things are people that have been here for long periods of time. Okay. So that, like people that work here or that live here? Yes. Okay. Yep. Live here, work here, or stayed here when it was a hotel for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that was my own observation. I didn't see that anywhere, but a lot of people said, oh, when I lived here or when I worked there, but people who just come to visit, they're like, nah, nothing happened. And it's like, well, it's interesting that the people that stay a long time are the ones that experience things. Yeah. So just an interesting Maybe note. when like the environment is comfortable with your you're like being there yeah maybe then you're you gotta pass the vibe check first yeah you're like, <laughs> uh yeah you're you're cool <laughs> yeah right we can talk to you yeah <laughs> um people have reported having very vivid dreams while sleeping at the hotel people have reported waking up to being laying almost halfway out of bed when they stay the night here Weird. Which is weird. So I'm like, it makes me think of paranormal activity. Like, I wonder if they got dragged out. Like, pulled out of bed. And then they woke up, like, last second. And they're like, oh, why am I hanging halfway out of bed, you know? <laughs> that made my heart, like, go fast. Because <laughs> that part of paranormal activity is, like, 
literally the scariest thing is when they're grabbed and yanked yeah. out of bed and dragged like down the hall. Or like or like in, in Annabelle when she's like in the hallway and she gets and there's a fire. Dragged into the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Scary. If I can't see something dragging me, I can't. I will not survive it. No, because what are you gonna do? Punch it? Yeah, like what well, yeah, exactly. What do you do? Kick it in the nuts? Yeah. <laughs> Just to kind of get a a guess where Oh the sensitive gosh. areas are. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so people have reported that doors will open and close on their own. And people have heard footsteps walking around when nobody's been there. People have reported smelling random whiffs of, like, perfume in the elevator. Um, the elevator is actually a really big thing about this hotel. Because security, they have claimed that at night when they're watching the cameras and stuff they'll see the elevator go from the lobby to the 11th floor on its own and then it'll like open its door and it'll stay opened for extended periods of time weird and then it'll close and then go back down to the lobby it'll go up open and stay open and close and go back down and like people are like so that's a common thing and people say that the elevators are very frustrating because sometimes when you're on the lobby on the lobby floor and you hit like five or something it'll take you to the 11th floor what? and some people are like that could just be like a malfunction but you'd think they'd fix that by now right so you think you think but yeah that gets fixed last that's so true they're like just use the stairs <laughs> a facebook user named dara v because you know i get a lot of my information from the utah haunted history page mm -hmm. she commented on a post about the bigelow hotel and she said that at, she used to work there, and at one time, her and her friend went into the basement for... She didn't really say why, but they went into the basement, and I guess uh, she had looked over at her friend, and in that same moment, her friend went, like, ghostly pale white, looked terrified out of, out of belief, and I guess said, there is something behind me. And they started, like, shaking and then threw up, like, in that same moment, like, just all that happened at once that there's something behind me and they just got sick she just felt it not mm -hmm. seen anything yep wow and they said scary. we've never been back down since that is scary yeah super scary on the third floor um people have reported that when you walk down the hallway you'll randomly hear door handles shake on their own on the fourth floor people have claimed to have an overwhelming feeling of dread or sadness people claim to feel super creeped out when visiting the ballroom and a lot of people say that the 10th and the 11th floors are considered to be the most active and that kind of goes into the legend about the people that have died that that story didn't really happen um, they say that it was because of those stories so who knows huh people also have gotten a lot of EMF detector spikes on the 11th and 10th floors. And that's my story at the Bigelow Hotel. That's pretty cool. I It looks creepy. I keep looking in the windows. I don't know why I always assume something's going to look at me in the windows. But like, yeah. like you see these windows are all bricked up. Yeah. Like down the middle of this one. And there's bricked up ones over on that, like the tallest part. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to um, mention those extra two stories up there. Uh-huh. When it was first constructed back in 1920-something as the uh, Bigelow Hotel, it was actually a penthouse for the Bigelow family oh, okay. to stay up there. Huh. Yeah, it looks fancy. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if, like, people that live there experience anything commonly yeah like I actually nowadays on the utah haunted history page some people said yeah i live there right now and it's definitely haunted but that's all they said but not anything like specifically mm -hmm. i wonder if it's just like the vibe yeah no you can be. just feel something that's like off or something's there but isn't you know yeah. like it's not a specific story to tell just a feeling right right just like a sixth sense yeah just like the basement in our freaking old house yeah like Honestly. that was just creepy as fuck, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like anything happened. Like, yeah, nothing specifically happened on there. It's just like you didn't feel safe. No, ever. and I always ran up the stairs. Mm -hmm. When I turned the lights off, I ran up the stairs yeah. because it scared me so much. Whenever people talk about like something chasing them or like being afraid to turn around, my instant re memory is being in that basement. Yeah, like it's like oh yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, those green ugly stairs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are the most hideous 
stairs I've ever seen. The carpet was like a bright Christmas green, wasn't it? It wasn't bright, it was dark forest green. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Maybe in my head, I'm like, this is not what... If I remember right, it was like a like an evergreen green. Oh, weird though. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening to episode 16. Yeah. I hope it was worth it for you. Um, hope we you had enjoyed fun. the stories and the spooks and... Check out Ogden's 25th Street. It's pretty pretty cool. Yeah. Cool I know they do stuff. some fun like Halloween things. So definitely check out their events if you want to do something spooky here at that time. I think they do something. I, I just can't remember what it is. Yeah. So. I want to go to that ghost bar one day. Yeah. It's cute. Yeah. We'll have to come they back. They were closed at 1030 in the morning. So. Yeah. They couldn't accommodate us. How rude. All right. Well. Check us out on Instagram at Haunt and Cold Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter. Mm-hmm. We're on Facebook. We're on Facebook. We have a website mm-hmm. without much on it. That's okay. It's not great on But your... you'll be on it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And if uh, you want to check out our Patreon, we have something on there. <laughs> yeah. We have, we have, we're getting some, like, outtakes on there, too. It's so, like things that I take out of the episodes. I'm putting them in Patreon. So, like, us going on a weird tangent about this Everything. or that. Yeah, like, sometimes I take that out and I save it, and then now I'm working on uploading that to the Patreon. So, if you're interested in just hearing that those goofy stories that don't have anything to do with anything. Yeah. <laughs> that's where sometimes you can find those. Sometimes that's fun. Yeah. Sometimes not. Right. Um, but, yeah, with, with each tier, you can get a surprise gift, um, and then the higher tiers, you get, um, like a keychain or a beanie or something like that and we are working on getting that more like a visual idea of what you'd be getting but I just haven't taken the pictures yet so we'll get that going but yeah watch out for those things definitely and it'll be fantastic also if you sign up for our tier three April mentioned it in the last episode but we're doing this new thing called small business shout out so if you have a small business and you would like just some advertisement have your name out there a shout out from us um sign up for our tier three and we will put you on our website and we'll give you a shout out in our episode and we'll probably put something on our instagram as well yeah so uh if you help us out we'll help you out you know what i'm saying it's <laughs> it's like a business exchange yeah if you want to call it that a handshake if you will yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyways so yeah um this was great so we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm, okay, bye. bye.